And um, there's, a, there's a lot there. There's a lot in there for us uh, today also. So as we do that, the focus is going to be on worship, what that means. And it, it's not just singing songs. I'll give you that clue. All right. So Kristen, Chip, would you come? Sure. Morning, church. So empty words and deeds are not what God wants of us. The wisdom of the world does not impress nor does it please him. God wants our worship to be humble, real, and focused on him and the things he's done, especially that of the works of Christ the Son. This work cannot be viewed through the lens of worldly wisdom, but must be viewed spiritually, prayerfully, and with our sights set on heaven. The heart of worship is why we gather here, in fellowship with other Christians, to learn to be servants of our fellow man and to focus on being humanity as God wants it. This is where Sharon usually starts playing. So. Please stand. Won't you please stand? Thanks. You said it so much nicer. <laughs> but but you said it first. When the music fades, all this stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you all about you Jesus King of endless worth no one could express how much you deserve though I'm weak and poor all I have is yours every single is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made it 
it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. Um, all right, this song was inspired by Psalm 84, as were at least two other songs that we sing here. Um, the psalm was an exhortation to the Lord and how excited the writer was, well, how, how, he, how he wanted to go on pilgrimage to the temple in Zion. From strength to strength, stronghold to stronghold, easily defendable area to easily defendable area. He and his troop would go until they reached their goal, which was to worship at the house of the Lord in his dwelling place on earth in Zion. We can apply this to our lives simply by worshiping God, advancing in his service, extolling the strength he gives us to achieve the goals he has set for us until we finally meet him in heaven. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are sad on our God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on our God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on our God. We will go from strength to strength till we see you face to face.
For you are holy, for you are holy, for you are holy, Lord. For you are holy, for you are holy, for you are holy, Lord. For you are holy, for you are holy, for you are holy, Lord. For you something else, isn't she? God is good. So God wants us to lean on him. Through the good times and the bad, excuse me, through the good times and the bad, he wants your full love and devotion, and he wants to help you. View everything through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Lean on him for knowledge and wisdom. Bring peace to your lives by welcoming him in and obeying his word. What a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. To walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. to dread, what have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. 
Please be seated, my brothers and sisters. <coughs> All right. Um, please uh, read the responsive reading, reading with me. A little long, but pretty good. Lord, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for yourself, where she, for herself, where she, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. That's it? Oh. <laughs> All right. I had one through 12. But that's okay. So um, this psalm exhorts God as almighty, and his temple is a blessed place to live. The writer is barred from visiting the temple, probably from hostile tribes, tribes marauding the countryside. Yet he can barely contain his joy in the Lord. Better is one day in your courts, he exclaims, than a thousand elsewhere. The Ark of the Covenant was held within the Temple of Zion, and to be near it and near our God's dwelling place on earth. And the writer wants to be near it. And to be near it and near our God's dwelling place on earth is a special honor. And the writer wants to be near it, giving up all power and wealth, to become a mere doorkeeper at the house of the Lord. That's a, it's really a, a beautiful psalm, poetry. All right, thank you. Amen. Would those uh, helping with the offering come up? Before we take the offering, I want to pray for uh, those on our disabled list, if you will. And uh, just ask for, for God's healing. Yeah, how's she doing? Doing good. She just needs to, you know, Okay. Good. Thanks for reminding me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, uh, we're grateful to see Chip up here. Uh, I'm sorry, Butch up here uh, today, Father. He uh, had a surgery earlier this week. Thank you for bringing him through it. And thank you that he's here. We pray for Emily, who's still recovering from surgery. Pray, Father, that there'll be no complications and that all would go well. We pray for Diane, Father, who's fighting a, an eye infection. We pray this is nothing serious, that, uh, Father, uh, you would bring healing to her eye also. Uh, 
And Father for Gloria, who uh, sustained this fall yesterday and broke her upper arm. We just ask, Father, that you give the doctors wisdom and guidance as to how uh, to bring about the best healing for that arm. We know you're the healer, Father, so give them wisdom. Many times you work through the hands of a, of a physician. And Father, uh, I want to pray for Joan. Uh, she is home, and we thank you for that. We pray that she continues to get stronger and that we would see her soon. And Father, um, if I've forgotten anybody, Father, I, you know who they are. I just pray, Father, as we continue to worship in giving, that our tithes and offerings would honor you and that you would help us to be good stewards for the kingdom of God. And so, Father, bless the gift and the giver. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. I want to ask a question. This is a little bit different than I had intended to start the message, but I think it's entirely relevant. I want to ask you a question. Does God have a right to get angry? Boy, let me ask that again. Does God have a right to get angry? The trick is, usually when we get angry, it's because something we wanted was blocked. But when God gets angry, he gets angry for all the right reasons, mostly because his people who name his name sacrifice being with him for idols, whatever those idols may be. Now, I want to be very clear uh, that for those of you who are here, I'm preaching to the choir. I appreciate your being here. But in the American church, including this one, we still have too many people who stay home, who don't make the effort to, to come to worship, corporate worship. And you might say, well, you know, we can worship anywhere we want. Yeah, we can. However, there's something special about being in a house of worship. Why is it special? Because God ordained it. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembly as some have. Now, this is weighing heavily on my heart. And as times get worse, politically, e economically, socially. Um, we need God all the more. We need to come together and, and just encourage one another. Let the word of God encourage us. Let the singing encourage us. Let the prayer encourage us. So let me go back a few thousand years. And I wasn't around, okay? 
Do you remember when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to, to hear God dictate the Ten Commandments, right? Well, when he went up, and it wasn't for a long time, the people, the, he, the Hebrews who had just been miraculously delivered from slavery decided they didn't want to wait on Moses. They wanted to worship. And you remember what they did? What did they do? Built a golden calf. God was furious. Do you blame them? They experienced this great deliverance. Miraculous. God heard their cry. And not too long after, they decide to tell God, no, we want to worship this calf. God got angry. Moses went down and straightened them out. Right? Under God's direction, he told them to burn the calf and, and stop worshiping because it was idle. Well, let me uh, just bring you up till Jesus' time now. And this is where we pick up John, okay? This account is important. Uh, this account happens chronologically, actually, late in Jesus' ministry, but John chose to put it up front. The other three Gospels recorded near the, near the end. But John had a very important reason to put it up front because John wanted to emphasize how important worship is and how important a place of worship is. And so... John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost Passover, uh, time for, uh, of the Passover, Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That was not uncommon. Every firstborn male was required to uh, attend three feasts in Jerusalem every year. The Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacles, otherwise known as Purim, right? And, uh, the, and Pentecost. Those were the three feasts that were required for people to come. But with the Passover, not only did the, uh, the firstborn males come, but families used to come. And so Jerusalem used to get crowded with anticipation for celebrating the Passover feast. Jerusalem was where the temple was. But it says in the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the table, tables exchanging money. Huh. You know, it wasn't bad that they were selling cattle, sheep, and doves because they were supposed to be used for sacrifices. And it wasn't uh, bad that they were selling, uh, a, a exchanging money because people came from all over the no known world and they had to exchange their currency for currency that would be acceptable in the temple. What was bad is that sinfulness, uh, the sin of greed took over the temple. 
It became a marketplace. Those selling the cattle, the sheep, and the doves sold them way above what the normal cost would be so they can extort people. I mean, what were the people going to do? They made this, this trek and they needed, they needed these animals for the sacrifices that were required. And the merchants knew there was no other place to go. So they jacked up the prices and extorted the people. The same thing with the money changers, right? Uh, they, they charge an exorbitant fee to change your money, just for the sake of argument, right? If you had $100 and you want to change it into Jerusalem uh, currency, they would say, I'll exchange it for you, but you're only getting 50 and I keep the other 50 Sweet deal, huh? Not so sweet. Not so sweet. And you say, Pastor, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Well, let me tell you some of the other things that were happening in the temple. Um, I get this from Josephus and some of the other historians. The temple was kind of centrally located, right? And people were using the outer court of the temple to cut through and make a shortcut to where they were going. So there was no respect for coming into the temple as being a place of worship for the true and living God. And the reason why they cut, tr cut through is because they wanted to get to the marketplace as fast as they could before what they needed was bought up and sold. There was no regard for the temple. Now in the temple of four, four courts, there's the outer court of the Gentiles. This is where all this stuff was happening. And the outer court of the Gentiles were for visitors who just wanted to come into God's house, and, that, and that's as far as they were allowed, and just experience prayer and worship. Well, in the temple, they found people s selling these things and extorting other people for money. Huh. How do you think Jesus reacted? Fully God, fully man. Look at this. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned tables. I say God was pretty angry. Right? How dare you take advantage of people? How dare you? You know, in my years of ministry, um, occasionally we've had some special, you know, singing groups come in or special speakers, and we o always paid them an honorarium, and, and that was good. But then they would ask me, can we set up our tapes uh, or books so people can buy them? And I would say no. I said, you can give them the website or whatever you want to, give them the mailing address, and they can buy them. We're not going to do that because we're not here to elevate you. We're here to elevate Jesus. Boy, did I get flack. 
I'm sorry. I still feel that way. We're here to elevate Jesus. We're not here to elevate anybody else. These people are elevating themselves. Using God's house for gain and profit. Look at this. I mean, this gets incredible. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. I mean, it, you see the exclamation point, right? I mean, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. The other three Gospels record this additional statement as Isaiah is quoted. Jesus says, my father's house will be known as a house for prayer for all nations, for all nations. Anything but prayer was going on in the temple. Do you realize the church was born out of a prayer meeting? Do you realize that? In the upper room, the disciples were so distraught at the loss, the apparent loss of their savior until he appeared to them, but they were praying. And then they saw Jesus. They didn't stop praying. They prayed more. Because Pentecost was coming. The birth of the church was going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church would be the, the house of God. Not the building, but the people in it. But we have to come together and worship our God. Do we have our own idols? Yeah, we do. Let me, uh, I'll illustrate one here. Right? Let me put it to you this way. If you're not looking at the scripture on here, put it away. All right? It's a distraction. Put it away. What are some of the other idols? We make idols out of buildings. I worship here because what a beautiful building they have. Now the building is a building. The church is the people. Oh, I go to this church because they got a great praise team, great music. Okay, we're called to excellence, but that's the wrong reason we go to church. Well, I, you know, I go to this church because um, of the preacher. Okay. You may be a good communicator, but the preacher is not Jesus. You see, we must decrease. He must increase. And we lose that. I'm really, I'm really, really at a standstill because I, I really don't understand why people choose to stay away from church. I, I, I don't understand it as a pastor. It's the worst thing you could do. Well, you know, maybe, maybe they have sin in their life. Well, this is the place you ought to be. Well, maybe, you know, they, they can worship at home. No, they can. But that's for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. The writer Hebrew says, do not forsake the assembly. As some have. Listen to me, I'm going to be prophetic here. 
And you can quote me on this because, uh, you know, when the Lord calls me home, you'll see how this turns out. People who choose to stay away from church will ultimately, ultimately be paralyzed by spiritual starvation. It's a given. Oh, I read my Bible. Okay, that's good. But are you worshiping with God's people? You know, and this whole thing about competition between churches, I never bought into it. Um, you know, my last ministry, we had 300 people. And, um, and that was no measure of success. Numbers don't measure success. What measures su- success is the numbers of discipled people in the congregation. That's what measures success. It's kind of a loop, if I can put it that way, because the more time you spend with Jesus and in corporate worship and discipleship, the more you fall in love with him. And the more you fall in love with him, the more you want to come to the house and worship. You know? Listen, there are Sundays, none of us feel like being here. You know, I mean, there's the old joke, you know, the mother goes in and wake up the son. Son, you got to go to church. I don't want to. But you have to. Why? You're the pastor. I guarantee you that when you come to church and you don't want to, you're going to experience a blessing that you would have missed. I can't blame Jesus for getting angry. Not at all. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? (laughs) You know who the Jews were here? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious experts who should have known better. Well. Do a sign to show us your authority. And they were so blind to the fact that they had God in the flesh before them. And he asked for another sign. He had already done some miracles. Show me another sign. That's been the cry for all the ages. Show me another sign and I'll believe. Show me another sign and I'll believe. No, listen, if you're not attracted to the love of Christ and the grace of Christ and the cross of Christ, there's no sign that can convince you. I don't know if you remember many years ago, someone in Mexico uh, made a tortilla and they decided to look like Christ. This is no joke. I mean, you know, they decided to look like Christ. And word got around, and people from all over were coming. And I'm saying, nobody knew what Christ looked like. You know, how can A.W. T- a. Tozer, in his pr- book, the Pursuit of Holiness, made this statement, I'll never forget it. Because we are, we are sinners, sinners saved by grace, we are so fickle that we would worship a doorknob if we had reason to. 
people making treks and not even going to church. You know, I mean, there, there's, there's something about that that is not, not good and it's not right. The temple should be a house of prayer for all nations. But let's, let's follow this through. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. Now they're asking him for a sign, right? And these guys were so spiritually dull. Let me go to the, oops. They were so spiritually dull, they didn't realize what Jesus was talking about. They replied, it, it, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple, Jesus was speaking about was his body. God in the flesh. And he's saying to them, you're going to get your sign because you're going to want to crucify me on the cross. And you're going to destroy this temple. But three days later, it will be rebuilt and glorified. And religious experts, that'll be your sign. That's, this is my father's house. I am his son, and I have his authority. But they didn't get it. They just didn't get it. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You know, it took a while for the disciples too, right? Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all the people. That can be a little bit confusing, but we got to unpack it. At the risk, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but I think you'll get my point. What these people were, put, were believing in was not the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was the miracles of Jesus. Jesus the magician, if you will. And they were like awed over that. And Jesus knew it wasn't a true profession of faith. He knew their hearts, you know? Belief is only as good as the object you place it in, correct? All right? When, when you get, you know, big guys like me and you believe that a chair is going to hold you up, that's pretty good. That's faith, right? Uh, when you get on an airplane and you believe the pilots want to live, so you're going to live, that's faith, right? I mean, I can go on and on. But what Jesus was saying is, look, these signs are not an act. They are signs to point to the Father in heaven who we should be worshiping in this house. Just think how Jesus must have felt when he healed 10 lepers. 
and only one came back to thank him. Think how Jesus felt when the religious leaders of the time rejected him for their own pride and greed. Think how Jesus felt when he found a temple being used for abusive purposes. Now, this is a theme that continues in Scripture. I don't know if you realize it or not, but in Revelation, and even in Thessalonians, it talks about the abomination. You remember, you, what's the rest of the phrase? Of desolation. Thank you. The abomination of desolation. That's when Jesus is going to return. You know what the abom abomination of desolation is? When the temple is abused and you find in it not prayer, not worship, but prostitution, unworthy sacrifices, all sorts of evil. That's the abomination. You wonder why Jesus got so angry. This was an abomination. I really have to ask if Jesus walked into a church today, what he would think? Would he be angry? Would he feel at home? You know, I mean, those are good questions that you and I need to ask. I want you to picture just for a moment, and then we'll close this out. Because I see some of you um, thinking ahead to the lunch, and I am too. Um, you're a Gentile, or put it in today's vernacular, you haven't come to a point where you trusted Christ yet. And you came into a church curious about this Jesus. And as you come into the church, curious about these Jesus, you have people selling different things. And you hear a lot of arguing going on and a lot of bickering going on. 20 bucks, that's too much. All right, give me 15. 15 bucks, that's, I mean, the distractions that can happen. It's not God-honoring. And then there's the legalism. Mahatma Gandhi became very curious because a friend was bringing him through the Bible. He became very curious about Jesus. And um, he decided to go to church one day in India. Dangerous move, by the way, for... Gandhi, but Jesus fascinated him so much, and what caught him was the love of Christ, the love for the outcast, the love for those who were down and out. Um, people were drawn by his love, so he enters in this congregation, uh, which was planted by an American missionary, okay, and um, one of the ushers greets him, and he was dressed in the typical Indian garb not dressed like everybody else in the congregation, because you see only good Christians wear suits. 
baloney. You know, only good Christians wear this or that or carry the right translation of the Bible. That's baloney. So the usher went to Gandhi and said, sir, you'd be more comfortable at the temple down the road. And Gandhi never picked up a Bible again. He said, I can see Christians have their own caste system. And yet God says, my house shall be known as a house of prayer for all nations. Boy, we forget that. We forget that. Many people saw the signs that Jesus did, and they kind of followed him to see what he was going to do next. That's not true belief. Repentance and faith at the foot of the cross brings us to true belief for by grace. We don't deserve it. We are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, at least anyone should boast. By grace, you are saved. It is by grace, only by grace, that we're able to mature in Christ. It's only by grace that we are able to come to a worship service and ascribe to God his worth. It's only by grace that I should decrease and he should increase. You know, when I speak out of the churches, I never tell them my name. I don't care if they remember my name. I care that they know Jesus. My name means nothing. Jesus' name means everything. My prayer is that God would send revival to his church. There are still too many people that stay away. There were three churches I know of that closed over the past year. There's more churches closing than there are opening. We have to find a way to reach out to the younger generations without compromising the message of God. We've got to find that way. Because the gospel is only one generation from extinction. You realize this. In Ephesus, where John penned a letter that Jesus dictated to the seven churches in Revelation. Ephesus was a, a great church. They had their problems. They lost their first love. And Jesus gave them a warning. Come back to your first love. Otherwise, I will remove your lampstand. That is their witness for Jesus Christ. They didn't heed the warning. To this day in Ephesus, there's not one church. Not one Christian church. Wow. Listen. God ha has every right to be angry. Because his anger is righteous anger, not like mine. 
But he, get, he gets angry for the right reasons because we bring idolatry into the church, whatever form it may be. As I said before, I know I'm preaching to the choir. So I want to thank you for being here. I really do. But if you haven't seen some people, maybe you need to give them a call. I say, hey, we miss you. We miss you. We'd like to see you come back again. What was in Psalm 84? My heart pants. Pants. Like a deer panting for water. To be in the presence of God. May God bring revival to his churches so our hearts become like that. Amen? I'm going to ask uh, Kristen and Chip to come up. Now listen, you heard me say several times that when we worship, we must decrease, he must increase. And one of the ways to facilitate that is to sing, how great thou art. So if you're able to, please, would you stand? Sing loud. Microphone's on. That happened two weeks ago. I got done singing the last song, and Kristen leaned over and said, your microphone's off. I said, oh, okay. All right. It's good to be reminded every once and then that you're fallible. All right. It is. <laughs> All right, sing with heart, brothers and sisters. Yeah. 
blessed by the music today. As we um, dismiss, I'm going to uh, not only do a benediction, but I'm going to say grace, because in a restaurant, it's tough to do with uh, all the people uh, around there. So, hope to see you all down there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these dear people who came out today. And thank you for those who are unable to be here because of m medical reasons, Father, and we pray for them again. And so, Father, we thank you that we had this time to give praise and honor to you. Thank you. May we never take that for granted. And as we gather around tables and fellowship and food, would you bless it to our bodies. May we be forever thankful for your provision. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. I'll see you down there. <laughs>